Welcome to Light for the Journey, a podcast of Russell Memorial United Methodist Church. Each week, we open the scriptures in faith that the timeless truth of God will guide us as we seek to follow in the steps of Jesus. People often say that when you die, you can't take it with you. No matter what possessions you amass in this world, you can't bring them into the next life. Why? because the things we have in this world are not really ours. In this week's message, Pastor David Cartwright reminds us that God has made us stewards of His world and explores what our duties as stewards are. As we go to our message today, let's open our hearts and minds to the truth that God would speak to us. We've been in a series for the last few weeks of these things we do talking about uh, the practices of our faith that we do intentionally, uh, knowing that God uses them to strengthen us in our discipleship. And today we are going to reflect for a time on the practice of stewardship. And I want for us to begin today in the uh, Gospel according to Matthew, and we'll be reading in chapter 6. This is a section called the Sermon on the Mount. Three uh, chapters worth of Jesus' teaching. We'll read verses 19 through 21. And these are quite familiar words, so hear now the Word of God. Matthew 6, beginning at verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. That last verse is key, in my opinion, to the thrust of those words. Where your heart will be there, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's, it's really a matter of the heart. And that, that principle in itself is core to our discipleship. Um, stewardship is a matter of of the heart. And when Jesus teaches these words here, it, it reminds me of so many other things that we find within uh, the scripture passages that, that really ties back to our heart. Um, I think back about King Solomon, and you'll remember, uh, probably remember a time soon after Solomon was made king of Israel, that he was considered to be the most wise of all of uh, Israel's kings. And there was a decision that he made one day when he had two women who came before him. These women lived together. They had both, within just days of each other, given birth to sons. And somehow during the night, one of those sons had, uh, had died. And so these two women come before Solomon. And uh, one of the women contend to him this. They, she says, um, you know, I had my son at, at night with me, and the other woman had the son with her, and during the night she rolled over on top of her son and, and killed him. And so what she did was she switched 
children with me in the middle of the night. So when I woke up in the morning, the, the son that was near my breast was, was dead. And, and I looked and, and my son was over near her breast. And, and she contends to the king, you need to make her give me my son back. And so um, the other woman contends, no, that's, that's absolutely not true. And so Solomon has to decide, you know, which one of these women is uh, truly the mother of the, the child, the, the son that is still alive. And so he gives a commandment uh, that kind of violates our sense of uh, that with what's proper. You know, it kind, of, it kind of makes us cringe to think about it. But Solomon says, okay, he, he commands that uh, the, the boy be taken and divided in half and one half be given to one woman and one half be given to the other woman. And, and one of the women cries out and says, oh my gosh, no, 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 don't, don't harm the child. I mean, give, give the child to the other woman, you know, but, but just don't, don't harm the child. But the other woman contends, yeah, that's fine, you know, just split it in half, give one half to me and give one half to the other woman. And so by their reaction, Solomon is able to discern who the true mother of the living son is because obviously the heart of that mother was for the son. And so her, because of where her heart was, he could also discern where the treasure was. And you see the connection that is made there. And he was able to return that living child to its true mother. Where, where our treasure is, there our heart is also. There's this strong connection. And we see that woven all through Scripture. We think about um, when Jesus was within his ministry, there was a time when there was a man who came before him. And we, we call this man the, the rich young ruler. We, we kind of put together some description from the gospel accounts that are uh, attributed to him, and we call him the rich young ruler, who came to Jesus once and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus' response to him was, well, you, you know what the commandments are. You, you obey the commandments and, and you will have life. And the guy's response to Jesus was, well, I've done all of these things since my youth. What, what, what more must I do? And, and Jesus, perceiving where his heart was, or perhaps I should say, perceiving where his treasure was, said to him, go and sell all your possessions, give the proceeds to the poor, and then come back and follow me. And you'll remember that the man went away very sad. And the, the text tells us that he went away sad because he was a man of great wealth. And it, um, it, it burdened him to be commanded to sell all of that wealth in order to be a follower of Jesus. Um, I think we can appreciate that. I've heard several people over the years say, well, I'm glad that Jesus didn't say that to me. I'm not sure how I would react. But as the text goes on, you can see that it really impacted the disciples when they saw this young man go away so dejected. And they said, well, um, and, and, and Jesus' words to them were, you know, how hard it's going to be for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. And, and the disciples responded to Jesus and said, well, well, Lord, then, then, then who can make it? If, if they can't enter the kingdom of God, who in the world will? And of course, Jesus said, 
you know, with men it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Um, you see, the whole point of that transaction was that Jesus understood where the man's treasure was. And where his treasure was, there his heart was also. And for every one of us who are called to be followers of Jesus, we're faced with that understanding to, to be able to put our finger with God's help on those things that are most important to us. And um, it, it's not to presume that money or, or wealth is, is that which has a grip on us, because I know for a good number of Christians that's really not the case. But the Bible also is very clear that, that wealth has such an ability to grip us that being a follower of Jesus Christ always requires for us to, uh, to hold loosely uh, the, the wealth, uh, the possessions that we have, because when we hold loosely the treasures of this world, then we are free for our hearts to hold, uh, to hold Jesus as our ultimate treasure. And that's, that's, the, that's what the practice of stewardship does for us. It's that practice that always keeps our hearts free to put Jesus on the throne of our hearts rather than something else, whether it be riches or anything else. Um, stewardship is based on the reality that it all belongs to God. Okay, From the very beginning, it, it all belongs to God. Psalm 24 begins with this line. It says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. How much is the Lord's? All of it. It all belongs to God. Now we might kind of rebel and say, well, wait a minute, I, you know, I have things that belong to me. Well, not really. <laughs> God may let you have them for a while, um, but it all belongs to God. And that's kind of built into the idea right from creation, from the very uh, time when God uh, created all that is in six days, he put humankind in the world and gave us stewardship over it. Um, there's that idea that it all belongs to God. Genesis chapter two, verse 15 says that the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Now that concept of working and taking care of it is the concept of stewardship. It's not the concept of ownership. God didn't say, here it is, it's all yours, do with it as you please. God said, here it is, it's mine, I want you to care for it. Okay, That's stewardship, and there's a, there's a real difference between ownership and stewardship. There's a brief quote, and I've really lost the attribution to this. I think it's a quote by John Ed Matheson, who is a retired United Methodist pastor from Alabama. I can't, uh, I can't swear to that, but the, the quote very simply is this. Owners have rights. Stewards have responsibilities. Owners have rights. Stewards have responsibilities. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we understand that all that has been given to us is a stewardship, which means we don't own it, which we don't have a right to it. We have a responsibility for it. And you'll also remember something that Jesus said to his followers, which was, uh, to whom much is given, much will be required. 
And I have to tell you this morning, my friends, that when I look at my life, I realize that I am rich beyond measure. Now, that's not rich by, especially by the standards of this country. You know, when you measure my life and, and my resources compared to uh, some of the people in, in our nation, uh, no, I'm not rich by any means, not, not by a long shot. But then if you change the comparison a little bit and say, okay, by the world standards, especially when you look at uh, people in third world countries, I'm rich beyond measure way beyond measure. And then even further, if you take it uh, through a kingdom lens, and if I just ask myself, how much has God given to me to bless me? It's, there's no way I could measure it. I am, I am blessed. I am rich beyond measure. God has given me so much. And from the words of Jesus, what does that mean? To whom much is given, much will be required. And I have a lot to answer for just by what God has given to me, how God has blessed my life. God expects me to take that which he's put in my hands and be a good steward of it so that I use it for his purpose and, and his glory. And that's the whole concept of stewardship. Stewardship is, is, is keeping, is the practice that we do to keep our minds and our hearts in the right perspective. It all belongs to God. He has given it to us to use for his glory. Okay. And so then the question becomes, how do we, how do we nurture that? Well, there's that, that, that regular giving of practice. We talk about tithing. We talk about planned giving. We talk about intentional giving to the church where you plan it in advance rather than just waiting to see what you feel like doing. All of those things are done by intentionality. Okay. And it's no different. So you see, this falls in line with everything else we've talked about up to this point in these, this series. We, we read scripture, not when we just feel like it, but we do it intentionally. Why? Because it's a practice that builds our spiritual maturity. We, we pray when, not just when I feel like it, even though that's a great time to pray, but we build it intentionally into our life because we know that that practice is healthy for us. We worship together. Why? Because we know that that practice is healthy for us to grow in our spirituality. It's the same thing with stewardship. Uh, that, that regular practice of doing it intentionally is, is healthy for us because it grounds us in our discipleship and makes us more healthy as, as Christians. Um, you know, as I thought about this, uh, I, I Somehow this always, when you talk about money and giving and, and stewardship, it always gets linked around to uh, things like church budgets and, and uh, giving campaigns and, and things like that. And I won't say that there's not a connection to it, but I think we also have to kind of be real careful about how we make those connections. There's a question uh, that is asked of, of me and the church every year. And as good United Methodists, one of the things we have to do every year is we fill out reports and we send those reports on up the chain of command to our district office and they get read and they get filed and uh, all of those questions are meant for the health of the church. One of those questions that we answer every year is on the report of, uh, of financial giving, of what we uh, plan to do with a, a church budget for the next year. 
And when we set a church budget for the, the, uh, the upcoming year, uh, there's a question that, that I always see. And the question is, how do you plan on funding this budget? How do you plan on funding these activities of your church? Well, that's a good question, isn't it? I'm not going to tell you that it's a bad question because we would ask that question. You would ask it if you were setting a family budget. You would ask it if you were setting a budget for your business, right? You wouldn't set a budget with no earthly concept of how you're going to fund it. So it's not an unreasonable question to ask. My problem with it is that it, it seems it, it seems like we can get ourselves crossed up um, by connecting that back to the issue of stewardship. And the danger simply would be this, that we would answer that question, how do we fund a church budget, with the answer of um, something that is a spiritual discipline. And I think the most clear way I can put it is this, that the end, the end goal of stewardship is not the meeting of a church budget. The end goal of stewardship is spiritual maturity. Now you might say, well, well, pastor, doesn't our church budget get met by the giving of people who are being good stewards? It does. It, it does. Absolutely, as a matter of fact. But we have to be very careful that when we're saying, you know, what I want for people is to be good stewards so that we can meet our church budget. That is absolutely not what we're saying. Do I hope to meet the church budget? Sure I do. Larry Turner would have my skin if he thought otherwise. But my goal for the people of God in Jesus Christ is for us to be spiritually healthy. And that's the goal of being of stewardship. It's that intentional practice that helps to keep us mature and growing. And I, and I can't say that enough. And so all I want to do is is to just kind of raise an awareness that there's a there's there, there's a difference that has to be made because when we talk about church finances and, and church budgets, which are all important, and if we talk about the issue of stewardship, the, the goals, the goal of one is not ultimately to meet the other. Stewardship's goal is spiritual maturity, always and everywhere. And so our calling really is to just kind of bring everything under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, isn't it? I mean, as, as disciples, that's what we want to do. We put ourselves under God's Lordship so that we may follow Him without hindrance, with, without hesitation in all things. And that includes the things that are put in our hands to steward. There's a caution and an encouragement that I'll share with you, both out of Scripture. And I'll just kind of wind up with this. The warning is a scripture out of 1 Timothy chapter 6, and you find uh, that Paul writes to Timothy, and he says this in verses 9 and 10. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, 
It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. And you've heard part of that scripture has become very familiar to you, hasn't it? The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Paul makes very clear the power of wealth to, to draw a person away from, from a good, lively act of faith. He says, you know, many, many people have pierced themselves. It's been a shipwreck to so many in, in their faith walk, that, that desire and love of money. And so, um, you know, being, dis, being good disciples of Jesus Christ means that we have to keep ourselves free from what that can do to our hearts. But here's another scripture that I offer to you as an encouragement, and it's just kind of funny that my wife threw that out to me about a half hour ago. Uh, Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Now those last words are pretty familiar to you, aren't they? I will never leave you and forsake you. We, we That's kind of woven into the common vernacular of Christendom. We say that so often, but it's interesting how we only quote part of the verse and we don't put it with what immediately preceded it. I will never leave you and forsake you. What is the writer really talking about? The reality that we can be free from the grip of wealth upon our hearts. We can keep ourselves free from that, being content, realizing how richly we are blessed in God and Jesus Christ how good God has been to us, being reminded that as we walk through this life, his promise is, I'll be with you and I'll never turn away from you. And that's just such a wonderful promise that God has made. God has given so richly of himself. He's given most richly of himself in the giving of his son, Jesus Christ, who went to a cross of Calvary, shed his blood so that we might have a promise of life eternal. I hope that promise is yours today. And I hope that you will uh, pursue all of the things that set you free from the things of the world and keep your hearts inclined toward Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we just praise you today for the ways that you give to us, for your generosity and for your compassion toward us. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his faithfulness indeed to always be with us and never forsake us. And we would pray, God, that you would help us to keep our hearts free, free from the things that would entangle us, free from the things that would weigh us down, free to give of ourselves in following you. We pray, God, that you would walk with us through this week, especially, Lord, keep us through these difficult days. Watch over and keep us and use us, God, as a way to bless others around us so that we might be the blessing of Christ to them. Walk with us now and always, and may your peace reign in our hearts. For it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. We're glad that you chose to spend this time with us in God's Word. You can catch our worship services online at www.rmumc.net. May the Lord grant you the light of His truth as you journey through this day.